Thank you, Claire. Can you hear me? Is this all good? Good morning, good morning. How are we today? Good, wonderful. Uh, for those of you I haven't met before, welcome, welcome. My name is Beck, and I'm um, one of the lead pastors here alongside my husband, Nate, who maybe some of you have noticed isn't actually here today. He has been invited for, uh, by some friends of ours to their church this morning, Oasis Church, a beautiful church in Atwell, um, to share... Uh, the message, and it's kind of coming out of some of his master's research and things like that. So it's actually a really exciting opportunity for him. Um, so that's where he is, but he's with us in heart and in spirit. He sends his love. Um, so that's really cool. And uh, we'll pray for him shortly because... As if you've been here at Lyft for some time, you would know that Pastor Nate preaches messages that are maybe 40, 45 minutes long. Their messages go for 25 minutes long. So he's got the wonderful task this morning. Yes, Beck, your expression is just correct, appropriate. His challenge today is to condense what's normally 45 minutes worth of material into 25 wonderful holy minutes. So um, we will definitely pray for him in a minute. Um, but before we get into the word here today, um, I would love to just share with you a bit about Freedom Day that's coming up on July 22nd. We started talking about this last week. So Freedom Day is right up there. It'll go from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m possibly one-ish, but we're looking at 12 o'clock. Just depends on what God does, really. Um, but I'm really excited for this day because this is actually all about just making space to take a survey of your life, to see which different areas of your life you're experiencing the freedom of God in, and then maybe there are some areas in our lives where we're not experiencing the freedom of God. And for those of you who are a little bit maybe you're not quite sure what these days are about, or maybe you've been to some before that sound like this and it's kind of freaked you out a little bit. I promise you it's going to be a safe space. We're going to have trusted people there to help guide you through the different exercises. But the exercise is pretty much this, where we will have a look at some different areas of our life, we'll prayerfully consider them, talk to God about them, repent of any areas that we need to repent in, and then just surrender those areas to God. And I shared last week that I have been for one of these Freedom Days before at one of my previous churches, and I walked out of that day a new woman. There was a line drawn in the sand of my life, and I felt more free than I'd ever been, and was able to encounter the life of Christ in a whole new way. And so if you are struggling with, maybe there's some addiction in your life. Maybe there are some patterns of sin that you know are really hard to shake and you've been trying and giving it your all to do that, but still not quite getting there. Sometimes some good time of prayer and other people interceding and helping you along with that is actually what you need to completely walk free of that. And so that's why we want to make a space for that July 22nd. And who knows, maybe we'll run an another one at another point this year, but certainly every year we're wanting to pursue this in a real concentrated kind of a way because Jesus has died on the cross and he came back to life to set us free. Amen. And that's not just something that we think in our minds and it's not just some great little thing that we get to say, but Christ's freedom is actually manifested in our life. We're meant to look free, behave free, actually have his freedom, encounter his freedom day to day. And if that's something you want, but haven't quite, you know, just needing that little bit extra help with that, come to this day. 
It's going to be incredible. It's completely free. It's going to be right here. We're going to put on some morning tea for you as well. Um, but you can sign up after the gathering for that. Um, so that's my little plug for Freedom Day. Let's get into the message for this morning. We've been in a series called Christian Paradox. So we've been talking about different... Yeah, we're going to pray for Nate in a minute. I know. Beck's like, we really need to pray for that man. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> He's probably going to listen to this podcast and be like, Beck, what have you done? Um, love you, honey. Um, so yeah, we've been in the series, Christian Paradoxes. If you've been following along, you know that we've been talking about these different truths that we read in the Word of God, different passages of Scripture that sometimes when we read together, they don't quite make sense or they don't quite line up and they seemingly contradict each other. Well, today, um, and what Pastor Nate and myself felt would be a good topic to cover was this whole Christian paradox of victory and suffering, right? We are a victorious people because of the blood of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and yet we live in a world where suffering is absolutely a part of this. And, you know, we have not just people in the walls of church asking these questions, but we have people out in our community, those who are lost, those who haven't yet met Christ, asking, well, if God is a God of love or is God is a good God, then why do bad things happen? Why is there suffering in the world? And so I think, church, it's great for us Christians. In fact, I think we need to be on the front foot of this, knowing what we believe, knowing about God and how he sees victory and suffering. And so we are going to look today uh, in the Apostle Paul's teachings because if there's anyone who suffered <laughs> and has caught a revelation, right, of this paradox of suffering and victory, it's the Apostle Paul. And so let's pray because we need God's revelation. We need his spirit to be alive and working. So let's just bow our heads before we get into it. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the spirit of truth. You're the one that brings revelation. You're the one that brings the Bible alive to us. And so, God, I pray that as we open your, stri your scripture, that you would speak. God, that we would encounter you, that we would sense your very presence. God, I thank you for an open heaven in this place this morning. We ask this in your name, Jesus. And God, we just pray for Pastor Nate right now. God, we thank you for this opportunity to minister your word. We thank you that your grace is upon him to do so this morning. And God, help him with that challenge of condensing 40 minutes into 25 Thank you for your grace in all things. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Fantastic. So we are going to dive into Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote. And um, let's have a look at our key text this morning. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Brilliant. So for those of you who... Um, 
may not have ever had a toddler. You might not be aware of this movie. It's called The Cars Movie. Do, do we know? Yep, Cars. Yep, great. Um, if I told this story, it goes down so well in the Lyft Kids room because they absolutely love it. But right now, my son, who is almost four, his favourite movie is this movie called Cars, right? And I think Kobe is also a fan of this movie as well. Um, but the opening scene kind of reminded me a little bit about us sometimes. So let me kind of talk you through it. So Sam, he's actually got the book of this movie and he can actually quote verbatim the opening um, passage of this. So Lightning McQueen was a red race car with a lightning bolt on his side, ka-chow. Um, and so if you ask him about it, he will, he will tell you the story later on. So go and do that. It's very cute. It's way cuter voice than I have. Um, but the opening scene goes like this, right? So Lightning McQueen, he is this race car, this little race car, and he is this rookie sensation. He's kind of come out of nowhere, but he is changing the game of racing, right? And so it's this big opening scene where he is going through his different mantras and he's like, speed, just think about it, speed. And he's like saying this over and over again to himself because he's trying to embody speed, being fast, right? Because there's a lot at stake here. He is about to qualify for the Piston Cup, and so it's a huge race. And so we see him drive out of his, you know, truck where he's sort of doing his mantras and self-talk and all that kind of a thing. He drives out and he's getting ready for this race. The race takes off and he's doing laps. I, I, there are so many laps in racing. There's like 400 laps or something like that. But so he's going around and going around, making good time, you know, he's dominating. And then it comes to the point where he needs to have a pit stop. So he swerves into his pit stop and instead of letting his pit crew do what they need to do, change tires, fill gas, you know, check all these different things, he just swerves and he says, gas, only gas. And so they only have time to pump him up with gas until then he races off back into the race, right? Only to, in minutes time, blow out his back tires and he is limping with his hind tires, his front tires, towards the finish line because only in a kid's movie can cars actually limp. But so he's racing, he's limping towards the, the finish line. He ends up drawing uh, first but with two other cars. But he's gone from this there's really high expectations to uh, thinking that, you know, just by saying speed and going over his matches and believing something that he can actually make it. And all throughout the race, he's completely ignoring the fact that he is a car, <laughs> that he has tyres, he has different parts that need to be worked on in order for him to sustain this 400-lap race. He completely ignores it and he ends up, you know, destroying his chances really of, of coming first. And as I'm sitting and watching this movie, we literally we watched it this week for like the 20th time maybe. As I'm sitting and watching this movie, a, a type of person or people, should I say, came to mind. And it actually reminded me a bit of Christians and how sometimes when we're suffering, we can completely ignore the fact that we're suffering, that we're going through stuff, and by simply saying speed, maybe we're not saying speed, sorry, we're saying, uh, you know, God, you are good, God, you are good, you are healer, and we go through our different mantras or go through our different meditation, and um, we think that that's what's going to help us cross the finish line of this season of suffering, 
And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? Because I think sometimes for us as Christians, we're like this little Lightning McQueen race car. And so this morning, I want to speak into this. We're, we're pulling together, not this paradox, but how victory and suffering, how they can actually come together and come together through the Word of God. So let's get back to Scripture. So chapter 4, sorry, verse 10, says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So right now, I just want to give a bit of context as to what's going on. Why is this Philippine church concerned about Paul? Well, the thing is, is that Paul is actually writing this uh, book and writes other books from inside a prison. He's actually in prison at this point and hence why they are concerned for him. And they're actually bringing a gift to him, a financial gift to him, to help him throughout his time in prison. But there's a little bit more behind their concern as well because Paul, as I mentioned previously, he has lived a life of suffering. In fact, in the book of Acts, when he meets with Jesus, has this incredible encounter with Jesus Christ, it's actually said that he is going to suffer many things for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so to this point, Paul has actually, let, let's have a look at this. Paul has actually suffered four shipwrecks, one involving a night and a day adrift on the open sea. We went um, for a family cruise years ago now, and there was this point where, you know, because you have to go up um, onto the, what was it called? Yeah, the deck, that's right. Go up to the deck, you have a look out on the vast ocean. And I went from being, having like maybe one minute of awe of like, this is incredible, to just sheer fear, because I couldn't see any land. I was like freaking out. And so I couldn't imagine being adrift on the open sea for a day and a night. I think I, I would just be completely done <laughs> with life. He had been imprisoned, he had been repeatedly flogged and beaten and stoned. I don't know about you, but I haven't had any rocks hurled at me lately. Uh, he was in danger from robbers. I grew up in Gosnells, so I can kind of identify with that a little bit. Uh, he was in danger from people from different, uh, you know, beliefs, so Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles and Gentiles, uh, and false Christians. He knew many cold and sleepless nights, and I don't know about you, but Perth's winter this year has been so cold, it's been freezing, so we can imagine that a little bit. He's gone for days where he's hungry and he's thirsty, and then to top it all off, he's constantly anxious for all of the churches that he's been a part of planting and beginning, right? As a pastor of one church, I understand anxiety and, you know, having your people to care for and to pray for and to seed for, but I couldn't imagine having multiple churches and the level of anxiety with that. But really, Paul has gone through so much in his life. And so if there's anyone we can learn about suffering from and the victory in suffering, it is from our friend, the Apostle Paul. So Paul here, he is... That's his context, that's his background, and he's sitting in this jail cell. And so, of course, if you were to receive a gift while you're in prison, that would just be refreshment to your soul, wouldn't it? That would just warm your heart and bless you so much. And so Paul is saying thank you in this moment. But in the next verse, it's almost like he's saying thank you for this, but also I've actually learned a lot through suffering. It's not actually all bad. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be able to say that, right, when going through hardship and suffering. So let's check out what he says next. 
Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he's being thankful for this gift, but at the same time he's saying, I have learned something here. And when Paul uses the words, I've learned, he's actually referring to something within the culture that I want to just share a little bit more about. David Jeremiah, in his book, Counted All Joy, actually gives us greater insight. And so I'm just going to read a quote from, from his book here. This was, so these words, I have learned, was used in the Greek mystery religions to describe people who had worked their way up through the various lower degrees and had finally been admitted into full possession of the mystery itself. You can probably think of other religions that kind of operate that way. Paul is saying, I have made my way up through the degrees of progressive detachment from the things of the world, its comforts and its discomforts alike, and finally I have reached maturity on this point. I know the secret circumstances can never again touch me. Paul had learned the lesson bit by bit, test by test, circumstance by circumstance, he persevered through the lower degrees until he finally graduated and the secret was his. Contentment did not come easy for the Apostle Paul. He purchased it at the great price of exacting discipline. In other words, it took commitment throughout suffering for Paul to come out on the other side with the secret of contentment. But what kind of contentment is Paul actually talking about? Is it the kind of contentment that we know? Let's have a look into that word just for a minute. This word means to be self-sufficient. And what Paul is referring to in the culture there, there was these two, there were many, but two in particular philosophies that Paul is actually kind of subtly preaching against here. These two philosophies of um, the Stoics and Epicureanism, right? We know Epicurean from the Crown Casino and that kind of a thing. So you can kind of have a picture of like the indulgent nature. But really self-sufficiency was a high virtue of these two different philosophies. So in these different philosophies or ways of thinking, people would think that God is up here, humans are down here, God does not care about what's going on here on earth. We're left to our own devices, basically. So the, the good thing to do or the right thing to do would be to just try to live a life as comfortable as possible. Just gather around yourself um, great experiences, luxuries. Try to be as comfortable as possible. Don't worry about what happens next. Your, your comfort is the main thing. And so when it came to suffering, you can imagine that they were not friends with suffering, right? And how they dealt with it was to actually become a little bit, uh, not ignorant of it, but ignore it. They would suppress it. There's this word here that they actually talk about and they would be independent of external circumstances. But there was this carelessness, indifference, that's the word I'm looking for. There was this indifference to the idea of suffering. And so... What Paul is actually saying here is that there was a level of self-sufficiency. There was a level of contentment that the Stoics and Epicureans actually arrived at by being indifferent to suffering, by kind of suppressing it. Maybe that's the word we'd use in today's culture, suppressing the fact that it's going on, kind of like Lightning McQueen and ignoring his back tyres. Um, that's what they would do. And as I was thinking about this, 
I thought, wow, I think this is something that many Christians actually settle for. Like when we're going through suffering, we think that the best way or maybe the way to show that I'm victorious over suffering is to actually ignore it, to maybe talk about it in a way where it's a minor detail to our life when, you know, with suffering. And I've read out some of what Paul went through, but for all of our lives, suffering doesn't tend to be a minor dot point in our life, right? When we are suffering... It can be all-consuming. It can be the thing that we're thinking about when we wake up first thing in the day and go to bed at night. It's it's all-consuming. It's hard to be indifferent to it. And yet I think sometimes Christians fall into this because suffering is painful. We don't like anything that's painful. And so we try to persevere maybe in the beginning through it. But when it gets tough... When we're sick of handling the situation, maybe going to the doctor's appointments and just feeling the pain or or whatever it is that we're going through, we start to maybe just get a little bit numb to it. We start to want to just, okay, I'm so over this, God. Let's just get past this. I'm going to put it to one side and continue life on. But, But as we're continuing, we're limping towards the finish line. And so Paul here is saying, Christian... Philippian church, you know, we can deal with our suffering like this. We can listen to the Stoics and the Epicureans and have some sense of contentment. But what I found in Jesus, the secret that I found in Jesus is so much richer, so much more wonderful, so much more satisfying, so much more contentment in him. And so he's holding out this promise to the Philippian church that actually we don't have to settle for that. And again, as I was thinking about this, I just thought, you know, settling for indifference towards suffering, it just does not fit with who we are as Christians. You know, when we take on a value or take on a truth, we need to run it to its fullest extent. So let's entertain this for a minute. Say if I was indifferent to suffering, then that would be I'm indifferent to all suffering, right? Any and every kind of suffering. As a pastor, that's a bad thing because I'm expecting that people who are suffering are going to want to find hope in Jesus Christ and so they're going to come to the church, right? And if I'm up here and being like, eh, your suffering doesn't matter, I don't care about you, bad pastor. <laughs> very, very bad pastor. Kick me out of the church if ever that were to happen. <laughs> Give you full permission. Um, but more so, if we draw the line at any and every suffering, the main thing about us as Christians is that we've come to what Isaiah talks about as the suffering servant. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour, who gave his life on the cross for us, who suffered a sinner's death on our behalf. And so if we draw the line at being indifferent to suffering, then we're essentially saying that, ah, Jesus, what you did, yeah, that's cool, but we're going to put that to one side. And the church, with putting that to the one side, we're not a church anymore. We're a cult or we're something else. But the gospel is central to who we are as a church and who we are as Christians. And so that didn't sit well with me, being indifferent to suffering. So I was like, all right, Paul, you're going to have to help me out, mate. What is there or what comfort is there in pushing through to arrive at this place of contentment? So let's continue on. Philippians 4 verse 12. I I know how to be brought low. 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This kind of feels like a recap of what Paul has just said and is continuing to say. But these words, Paul has been so particular and deliberate about choosing these words because these words actually echo a hymn that's found in Philippians 2 that he writes about Jesus. So let's have a look at that. So Philippians chapter 2, and it should come up there, verse 6 to 11. Though he was God, so talking about Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position. This is what Paul's talking about, this abasement, this humility of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. There's that word again in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Paul's actually echoing this language here and he's he's putting his own suffering, his life's suffering in the light of Jesus and his suffering on the cross. But what I love is that it doesn't end here. Scholars Elwell and Beetzel say that Paul, while speaking about his abasement here, is using the same language of Christ's self-humbling found in Philippians 2, as we just read. Here, Paul talks about Christ's humbling to the point of death on the cross, but it goes on in this hymn. It says in verse 9, Therefore God elevated him, talking, talking about Jesus, to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names. We were just singing that. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what Paul is doing here is that he's saying that, yes, the abasement, the humbling that I'm going through right now, I'm identifying with Jesus. I know that he went through this. But the thing is, I can go through this because he went through it. But more than that, he knew, he recounted how when Jesus went through suffering, it ended in his glorification. This is what this hymn is all about. It's starting at that suffering place that Jesus went to. And then it tells us about the glorification of Christ and of God at the end of that. And so what Paul, he's holding out this promise to the Philippian church saying, whatever suffering you go through, remember that you are identifying with the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know how that story ends. It ends in good news for each and every one of us. It ends with Jesus resurrecting and going to be again with God the Father in heaven and God receiving all the glory, all the honour, all the praise. Paul is saying, Don't cry for me, Philippia. (laughs) Don't cry for me because, and you know, I thank you for this gift, but the thing is, I'm in this boat with Jesus. I'm in this suffering with Jesus, and I know that God is going to be glorified. And that same promise stands for us today, Christian that whatever suffering, whatever hardship we go through, we can hold on to this promise because Jesus has gone through it himself and he was glorified. And so our suffering, whatever we go through on this side of eternity, it's suffering that ends in the glorifying of our God. So how did Paul actually do this though? How did he You know, we kind of can see his thinking and track along with that. But how did he actually get to this place of having this victorious contentment while suffering? 
Well, verse 13 gives us the hint and it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He can do it because of the strength that Christ provides. You know, some of us know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because we get it on our coffee mugs. We get it on our magnets, right? And sometimes it's taken out of context where it's, I can do anything that I put my mind to because of the strength that Jesus gives me. And even though Paul is saying that, yes, in every situation, in every circumstance, in fact, you know, scholars can summarize it like this, that I can have the victory and prevail over my circumstance, this situation through my union with Christ who continually strengthens me. Paul's not talking about doing anything and everything that we want to do. It's not talking about getting that car park or getting that A plus or getting that whatever it is that we're wanting from God. But the context here is suffering. This promise has been birthed out of a place of hardship and suffering that people go through. And it's our union with Jesus Christ that we can actually get there. So in the Greek, the words can do actually means to be strong, powerful, able, to prevail over. So again, it's not about just doing anything and everything we want, but with this context of suffering, it's saying that I can do, I can actually prevail over the situation and the circumstance that surrounds me. But the key for Paul and the key for us as Christians today is our union with Jesus Christ And as I was doing my study, I came across this beautiful description of it that I think just puts it into very easy language for us to be able to grasp. And James S. Stewart describes this union with Christ like this. Christ is the redeemed man's new environment. Isn't that beautiful? The human body, by the acts of eating and drinking and breathing, is continually drawing for its strength upon the resources of its physical environment. Right? We need all those things to live and breathe. So the Christian spirit, by prayer and worship and surrender, makes contact and keeps contact with its spiritual environment, which is Christ. Thus the soul draws for its strength upon the supplies of power, which in Christ are quite inexhaustible. I love that, inexhaustible. That through our union, through prayer, worship and surrender, We have this union with Christ. And church, this is why every Sunday we gather together to pray, to worship, because we know that it's through those practices. You can see them as just practices or you can see them as holy, divine practices that actually help us to to strengthen our union with Jesus. It's bonding time with Jesus when we pray and when we worship. And so my encouragement would be, don't just wait for a Sunday to do that, but take that and do it your every day. Spend time in prayer and worship. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat with a person, you know, from obviously our church pastorally, but also outside of our church and just thought, if maybe you spent a little bit more time in prayer and worship, that that burden wouldn't be so heavy. That the suffering that you're going through might not be all-consuming. Maybe it's that union with Jesus that you're needing a little bit more of. And so that's why we do it. That's why we put on nights like tonight, prayer and worship night. It's time where, you know, there's no run sheet. We don't have to go to a particular time, but we can just get lost in the presence of God and having bonding time with Him. You know, some of my favorite days to bond with my son are those days where we've got nothing planned. Well, I mean, I've got to plan some things because otherwise I go a little bit crazy if I don't. Uh, But generally, there's no 
There's no um, time limit that we have to stick to. We can just go and enjoy the park or go and enjoy nature and we're just having this wonderful time together. That's why we're having worship night tonight, just to enjoy being in the presence of God, but strengthening that union with him as well. This is why we're putting on Freedom Days because, you know, if there's one thing that Freedom Day, I'd say, is all about, it's about surrender. It's about surrendering our lives to Jesus because we can pray, we can worship, but without that active acknowledgement of, God, I'm surrendering to you, then we don't get the secret of contentment that Paul talks about. We don't get the joy and the peace that is promised to us when we're going through, uh, you know, mountain top times and when we're going through the valley, when we're suffering, when we're going through hardship. That's what it takes. It takes that surrender. It's not just about prayer. It's not just about worship. But it's actually within those practices that we can come to a place where we're looking on the glory of God and saying, God, you are so good. I surrender to you. I give you my all. And so, church, I encourage you, make this a practice in your life. Whether it's when you jump into your car, you know, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a loser, to be honest, that whenever I jump in my car, I'm having these moments of like, God, I need you. I know I'm just spending a day with my son today, but God, I still need you. There's that practice of surrender every single day because I know as a human being how much I need God. And James Stewart talks about how it's through prayer, worship and surrender that we have this beautiful unity with Jesus not just for the good times, but actually sowing into that during the good times helps us to continue with that in the times that we're suffering. When we have those good habits in the good times, we can carry it through those times of suffering and we will have the perseverance and have the energy to endure whatever suffering that we can claim, like Paul did, the secret of contentment, that victory that Jesus promises us. If I can get the band up to help me, that would be great. So coming back to our little friend Lightning McQueen, <laughs> the red race car. You know, he spends, ka-chow, <laughs> he spends the whole of the movie figuring out that he actually needs his pit crew. But subplot spoiler, for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet, his real need is actually friendship. It's actually not doing these races alone. You can have a pit crew, but there's this desire with him to actually have relationships and have people in his pit crew, in his corner, that he can actually trust and can rely on. And this morning, speaking to you know, Christians or maybe you haven't yet made that decision, but Jesus Christ doesn't want to be your pit crew. He doesn't want to be your pit stop that you come to just when times are getting bad, but he wants that relationship, that ongoing relationship he wants us to know that he is the one that you can trust. When you find yourself not being able to trust anyone in your world, anyone around you, maybe because of what you're suffering, the hardship that you're going through, Jesus Christ, our amazing Heavenly Father, God is the one that we can trust wholeheartedly. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you've never taken that step to put your full trust in the hands of God, then I want to encourage you that this morning, this could be your day. This could be your moment. If you're going through suffering, if you're going through hardship and you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. Jesus is here with you. 
and he is writing a beautiful ending to your story, one where he gets all the glory. And I know that that might sound like you don't get anything and he gets the glory, but the thing is this, when God gets the glory, it means that who he is is made known. It is revealed. So in that we have healing, in that we have access to joy, in that we have access to peace. But the thing is, is that God getting all the glory means that his goodness will be seen, amen? His very person is made manifest in whatever we go through. That's what it means for God to get the glory. So when we're suffering, when we're going through stuff, do we want God to be glorified? Absolutely, Amen. I want God to be made known through my suffering because I need to know that suffering isn't wasted. The hardship that we go through is not wasted. But God will make himself known. And not even just in our story, but he'll, be, he'll make himself known through our story. That people, and I love that Claire talked about family and mission before. We're on mission, church. As Christians, we live every day on mission that God would be made known. And there's this beautiful promise that Paul is saying that victory and suffering are not at odds with each other, but in fact, in your suffering, there is victory. There is the glory of God that can be made known. And so that's a wonderful victory that we get to partake in as a Christian. And so for those of you who who maybe have not made the decision to follow Christ, to surrender to him, to give him your life, then I'd love to just pray with you at the end of the gathering here. I'll be here. I'll be waiting for you. Just come on up and say, hey, yeah, that's me. I'd love to pray with you. But church, if I can get us to stand right now. Because as I was praying through this message as You know, I was just seeing the goodness of God displayed here in Paul's life. I just thought, God, you are so good. And God, it is so right to surrender to you afresh. There's a song that we're about to sing. And going on the words of James Stewart, maybe you want to take this moment to pray. Say, God, you know what I'm going through. I need unity with you. I need to be attached to you going through this. I want to bond with you in this moment. Maybe that's what you want to pray. Maybe you just want to worship and sing sing these words as a declaration over your life and over the season that you're in, maybe what you're going through or maybe what your loved one is going through. Maybe your children are going through a hard time or there's a neighbor or a relative. This is an opportunity to sing these words over them. But church, what I sense God really wanting us to do this morning is to actually sing these words as words of surrender. That God, I'm not just wanting you as my pit crew, as my pit stop when I go through difficult things in life, but God, I wanna be united with you. I wanna give you my whole life. I surrender fully to you, Jesus. And so the band's gonna sing and what I want you to do is to lift your voice. Respond to God however you want to respond to Him in this moment. We'll have words up on the screen shortly. But let's take this time. We've got time, church. Come on. Why don't you sing? Thank you, band.
Father God, that's our prayer today, Lord, that you would have your way. Jesus, I thank you that you are faithful. God, I thank you that in the hardest of times, in the seasons of suffering and hardship in our lives, God, I thank you for that promise that you are with us, God, that you are glorified, Lord. God, I thank you that what we see in our circumstance, God, is in the end. But Lord, there is a greater ending, Lord, that you are rewriting the story, Lord, for your glory, God, that all people may know that you are a God who is good, that you are a God of healing and a God of love and a God of grace and joy and peace. And so God, I just lift up those of us, Lord, going through the tough season right now. Lord, I thank you for perseverance, Lord, onto that contentment, God. Father, I thank you that that is their portion in the name of Jesus. God, we give you all the glory and we thank you for being the forerunner that Jesus, because you died on the cross, because you suffered on our behalf, God, that we can share in your resurrection life, that we can share in your glory, Father God. Lord, we give you all the glory, all the praise. You are good, God, and we love you, Father. Have your way in our lives, in our hearts, in every season, God. In your name, holy name we pray. Amen, amen. Come on, why don't you say that in your heart? Amen, amen, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.